Hi, you're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm Rebecca Valentine, and I'm joined today by... Mahandra. Chris Drain. And Marie D'Alessandri. Uh, we're here again uh, to talk about the latest games industry news and headlines. Um, we're going to start this week um, by uh, we're, we're going to we're going to use actually a story um, from Kotaku this week as kind of a jumping off point into another discussion. Um, so Kotaku uh, ran a report um, today, kind of looking at Rockstar's crunch culture um, over the last eighteen months and how it's changed. Um, they they've run uh, kind of exposés and reports in the past about um, kind of the just the, the ongoing culture of extreme crunch at Rockstar. And um, they've, they've kind of checked in a few times um, over the last year or so as to how that has been going. Um, it's, it's a good report, you know, give it a read. Uh, but the section that we wanted to talk about is there's a place where it talks about their next project, which is apparently a new entry in the Grand Theft Auto series. Um, and their plan for that is instead of, you know, doing just this big blowout game, just like right right from the get-go, um, they want to start out with a moderately sized release, which as Kotaku notes is, would still be a large game by Rockstar standards. Um, but then they would expand that kind of more moderately sized release um, with regular updates over time. And the goal with that would be to help mitigate stress and crunch. Um, and so Matt, you were saying uh, just a few minutes ago that you had kind of an anecdote as sort of maybe considering as to whether that would be an effective strategy or not and as whether or not AAA is kind of the problem. Well, it's, it's, it's like, so it, it didn't really relate to this idea of how you could change the way games are made necessarily. It was actually right, right before Red Dead Redemption 2 came out. I was actually away somewhere uh, at a conference and I visited a studio and I won't say who it is because they didn't want to be on the record at the time and I'm assuming they wouldn't be cool with me saying that now either. But I, I was in there in the office and we, it, you know, we were having a good conversation and we got well over what I needed for the ask and we were just chatting about games and Red Dead was coming out the following weekend I think and I was talking about how I was really looking forward to it. And it was also around the time that, that Rockstar was coming under fire. I mean, he's probably like the the kind of the fulcrum point for Rockstar being seen as this like crunch reliant awful employer and they said you know and this again I think it's a difficult subject to talk about for developers because absolutely every single developer doesn't like crunch and doesn't want any part to do with crunch but when you make games you kind of understand a little bit more about how difficult it is to keep certain things under control and one of them said that they could not understand how it would be possible to make a game like Red Dead Redemption, games like Rockstar is trying to make, which is to say, absolutely gigantic, open world, dynamic, uh, you know, cities, environments, small countries, whatever, like huge, biggest games anyone's making anywhere in the industry, and not have crunch creep into it because it's not about planning. Uh, video games are made by iteration, they're made up of complicated systems that intersect with each other and there is literally no way of predicting what will happen. Uh, not well enough to know that you're never ever going to have a month period where everyone really really needs to just like stay and work and do all this sort of stuff. So again this is again this is not a big studio, this studio had an amazing culture, these are people that despise crunch. We were just talking very kind of openly and honestly about what is crunch, why does it happen, how does it relate to a company like Rockstar and, uh, and and the kinds of products it makes? And and their take was, you know what, like if if there is a solution for a Rockstar, I really have no idea what it would be. But now we have a report from Kotaku, which seems to suggest that this might be a solution to it. Which is to say, to not make you know the biggest game that anybody has ever made, and actually kind of 
change the way you conceive of that product so you can release it piece by piece. Now, I didn't read uh, the full article because, you know, when someone says Kotaku Expose, I feel like I need to like carve out three hours of my day to get through the thing. Um, so Rebecca, what, what, how many details did they have about, you know, what that, that different way of thinking about? I, I guess, I think I saw like a, another website's headline that said the article didn't explicitly refer to it as GTA 6, but we'll call it GTA 6 for the sake yes. of clarity. And I was like, yeah, right. And That's also right. for the sake of the headline as well, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, how, how much detail did they give of the... Uh, so, of so it's a short enough section. I'll just go ahead and read it. One plan that management has laid out for the next game, uh, this is Kotaku, a new entry in the Grand Theft Auto series, is to start out with a moderately sized release, which by Rockstar standards would still be a large game, that is then expanded with regular updates over time, which may help mitigate stress and crunch. But there's a catch. Rockstar's next project is still early in development. When production ramps up and the game gets closer to launching, will overtime come with it? Will Rockstar's employees then face the pressure of months of crunch in order to finish all the ambitious work it takes to make a Rockstar game? Um, and then there's a quote from a developer saying, the changes have been good enough for me to stay and give them a chance, but let's see what happens down the road when the pressures of delivering a final product become reality. Um, and that's the extent of the section. So we, there's not a lot of specifics um, as to what those plans are. And obviously it's early enough in development that we don't really know how that's going to play out. I think that that's a weird thing for me to, to say that making... Um smaller game is necessarily going to lead to less crunch. I mean, there's not necessarily a correlation between those two things because it's still Rockstar we're talking about. And as, as Kotaku rightly points out, uh, a small game or smaller game by Rockstar standards is still pretty massive. And I'm not sure, I mean, I, I'll be happily proved wrong, but I'm not sure that's necessarily going to help with crunch issues. Well, I, I thought, to be honest, I, I, I read, I didn't think it would meant it would be a smaller game. I, I thought it implied that it would the content would be released in stages. So ultimately it could prove to be just as big as any of their other games, but they're just not gonna, it won't be like GTA 5, where the whole of GTA 5 is like, boom, right there on launch day. It could be like, we'll release this bit, then that bit, then a bit more of the story or whatever. It just sounds like Rockstar are gonna make a game like everyone makes games these days. I mean, uh, it could be, it was always- Yeah. Um, <laughs> They, if, I, I plan on playing a lot of Forza Horizon 4. That game was huge when it came out. And then they added an entire Lego world and they added another island and they added a bunch of extra challenges and that game just keeps getting evolving. That's how they make GTA Online, right, isn't it? So, they're, oh, well, now, now you can go in the casino and now you can go over to this. Now, I can perfectly imagine a Grand Theft Auto game in the future. Like, this is, this is how they should be made. Where there's a skyscraper, skyscraper that's not been built yet and then two months later it's now built and you can go into it and there's another story, another part of the game. And the comedy club is closed for refurbishment for a few months and now they've added it in. They've opened it up and now you can do it. Um, yeah, I would also suggest that it, that you're you're absolutely right, Chris. And I we already have examples of that kind of strategy not exactly working out for getting rid of crunch, right? Like, I mean, it's it's, it's not apples to apples comparison, but looking at Fortnite, you know, it's it's this ongoing game where they're constantly updating and adding new things. And apparently, Epic Games had a really bad crunch culture there for a while, trying to deal with it. Yeah. So I think Fortnite I was. Know. I think Fortnite. I feel. I feel. For, I think the difference with Fortnite is the the, the success of that was was a surprise. Whereas I don't think Rockstar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rockstar would be like. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to play our new game. But I look, I look at, for instance, I look at games like um, I've heard a few game developers that worked on service-based games where they sort of released a game that wasn't quite, you know, finished or it was finished but it was it was lacking content, and then they it got really quite tight and a bit stressful right up into a point. And then after that, because obviously if you're if you're building a game over a period of time, 
and you're just um, you can't have crunch culture because everyone's crunching constantly then but obviously I think when you get to a deadline I, I, I don't know how you'd avoid it um, generally I mean it's, it's really difficult but I you know it might it might allow the company to be able to plan better because they're constantly releasing stuff rather than just driving towards one big launch date but actually multiple different uh, launch periods and that's how a lot of service a lot of service based companies have managed to help to a degree anyway yeah. eliminate so, eliminate crunch so, so with this I think it's difficult because it's just very difficult to talk about Rockstar um, because they're not a company that necessarily deserves the benefit of the doubt and <laughs> So it's very hard to go. So, so in a way, I, I feel like we have we can have a better discussion if we just kind of forget that this was triggered by an article about Rockstar and what they may or may not be doing, and just talk about more in more like the abstract about how games are made and why the that kind of game could be a problem with crunch and how this kind of solution could potentially make things better. And I think in that way, I think Chris is right. So. I mean, we are talking about Rockstar. So GTA Five comes out and it's absolutely enormous, and uh, that they've got one deadline there, right? Well, not one deadline, but you know, they they launch the product and the product has to be done. Now, if you can carve that one deadline up into six different deadlines over two years, I do think that makes the challenge of planning to avoid uh, excessive periods of extended crunch a little bit easier at least a little bit easier and potentially also it also um uh mitigates this sort of telescoping effect that the people that i was talking to were talking about which is to say that there is a difference a huge difference between a small game and a big game in terms of the potential for unforeseen problems to arise because the larger something becomes the more moving parts it has the more potential there and and this is to to the point about epic Epic's crunch culture, at least as far as we know, seemed to be, it wasn't like just like, Epic didn't really have like a crunch culture prior to Fortnite. Fortnite hit, it took off in a way that nobody foresaw, and they were just going crazy trying to keep up with it. And and they and they had a, a long period of completely unacceptable crunch, let's say that, but the, you know, it, it behooves us all to kind of think about the factors involved in, in, in this stuff. Um, and so, so I think, I think with that, it's, maybe this maybe that kind of way of thinking like, like chris says moving more towards this way of looking at a game is not a product that one one experience that gets released on one day maybe that is a problematic thing in terms of making a game and and avoiding uh, it affecting work-life balance and and the working life of your employees and i think simultaneously tr both trying to move away from rockstar but also still kind of using them as an example i think it is probably far more difficult to I don't want to say move backwards, but when you already have kind of an established way of working that has, because crunch is a culture, we keep calling it a crunch culture. It's not just like, you can, you can talk about Epic Games and like, okay, well, we don't, we don't know the situation before or after, but it seems very much like that whole period of rigorous crunch was a thing that happened very badly one time. Um, it was a culture for a period of time, but it isn't like this long-standing thing that's been in the company for years, as far as we know. Um, Rockstar, however, we know, like we have news reports going back, you know, however many years that pretty much indicate that it is ingrained in their culture. I think it is easier for, you were, you were talking about kind of the difference between bigger companies making these AAA games and then, you know, smaller companies making smaller games. And, you know, is it impossible to make a AAA game without crunch? I think it's easier if you're building up a company to kind of look at it with that strategy and say, okay, we're going to release a thing and then we're going to release, you know, a little more to it, you know, over, you know, several months or years or whatever. And that's how we're going to make sure that we have time to do the things we need to do and avoid crunch. That's part of an over, a much bigger strategy, right? Where, you know, we're also, you know, 
having it being led from the top down and, you know, taking care of our people and doing all these other things. I think when you already have this culture of crunch that exists and these expectations, right, that you put out a certain kind of game with a certain kind of quality that's going to attract certain people and you have a lot of money coming in that is expecting those very specific things, I worry that even if you go in with the best of intentions, Um, there's a point where suddenly expectations take over and you end up making compromises. So I think it's easier to kind of build towards the ideal that you're talking about as opposed to trying to be like, you know, scale back, I guess, from something you've already been doing. Yeah, and it's worth noting that Rockstar have learnt a little bit whether from making Grand Theft Auto Online, which is a game that they constantly update and improve and iterate upon. So they're probably starting to build a different culture as a result of that game. But I'll choose a different example I, uh, when I went to see Rare back in January, I'm going to mention Sea of Thieves because that's what I do. I'm on a podcast. And, um, and they have a thing where they have a, mass, they have a monthly update. They do a big new update every month. But if something isn't quite there yet or if something is, they're going, oh, it's, it's not, we're not quite ready. Instead of crunching to get that content done, they move it to the next month's update. So, it, it, you know, so that, because, because it's happening so regularly, because there's so constant updates, if something isn't quite ready, rather than getting them to work massive overtime to hit their January arbitrary deadline, just move it to the following month, you know, and then you just shove everything back a little bit and you move bits around. And that's the benefit of a sort of service-based <clears throat> thing that might help. Yeah, I, t- I talked to uh, someone who worked at Naughty Dog um, a couple of years ago now. And that, you know, Naughty Dog is a studio that I think is known for having a crunch culture as you sort of defined it, Rebecca. Like, not just like one game they crunched hard on for these kind of reasons that won't be replicated very easily. They crunch on everything. They crunch on every single game. And this person who works, you know, it wasn't like a boss, like kind of rank-and-file employee. He said that just the kind of games they make um, mean that every tiny little change has to be kind of finessed and finessed and finessed and finessed. So you can make a change that could be implemented by that department in like one day, but it actually creates about three weeks of polishing work for everybody else. And with what you were saying, Rebecca, like how a crunch culture can be sort of innately tied to the kind of games you make, like the what the kind of games that Naughty Dog make, and development is iterative, right? You can't say, on day one of development, this is what the game is going to be and have that be the game in three or four years' time. That's not the way development works. Games change over time. But when you make certain kinds of games, it must be very, very difficult to to keep that kind of thing under control. And, and in, the, in that sense, Naughty Dog has a challenge to face. Now, obviously, this they need to overcome that challenge and Rockstar needs to overcome that challenge. But I think this is... This is a challenge for people not working in that live service environment. And I think that the thing with Rockstar, the thing that really, that I feel very confused about is I really, really love Rockstar's games. Like I love Red Dead and I love GTA and I don't want, I don't mean GTA Online and I don't mean Red Dead Online. And it's important to remember that Red Dead Online and GTA Online are played by lots of people, but they're played by lots of people that don't play the other, don't play the single player stuff. And the single player people are not interested in the live service type so rockstar moving to a live service model for all of its games would be rockstar completely abandoning its entire heritage oh, it, yeah. and it would i know I, I can see chris about to say it wouldn't but as someone who lives in breeze rockstar games it would it definitely would. I, no, I, I, I won't play a live service rockstar game i'm just not interested and that makes me feel very conflicted because i'm aware that the kind of games that i love very very big open world single player hugely complicated games 
seem to be the really worst kind of games for keeping work-life balance under control. CD Projekt is another good example of a company that has terrible reputation for crunch. They make exactly these games. I, I, it's interesting because I, I, I'm, I like those games as well. I mean, I'm not a big, I'm not like a, a, a rockstar fine. I enjoy their games, but I, I, I think Dying Light's a good example of a great single player. It's a good game, really excellent game, and then they just added to that game with you know, new areas, new mechanics, new ideas, new concepts over time. And I just kept just kept people coming back to it and just experiencing it. So you get a Grand Theft Auto game that's Rockstar Grand Theft Auto, but perhaps it doesn't quite have everything in it. And then over time, they'd sort of add to it and you end up getting a second story. You know, I, I, view, I view it not too dissimilar to how they actually did the GTA 4 DLC, where they just uh, they just added extra bits and stories and mechanics into the game. But yeah. yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree. I, I love the uh, GTA 4 DLC and I actually thought it was a shame there was only three. But there was great potential just to do like kind of slices of life from different characters in the city and so on. But they did three, then dropped it, and never really did DLC like that ever again. Um, but but to be honest, I, I can totally see Rockstar moving more entirely towards live service and leaving the whole single player thing behind, just because that's where more money is. You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think that's exactly what's implied um, in Kotaku's article. Granted, again, there aren't that many details because they're not talking about it, um, but. It, it did say start out with like a moderately sized release and then expand with regular updates. And I think, I think there's at least, mm, I, I don't know. I, I think there's wiggle room there, right? Like it doesn't necessarily, now we're talking about something else, I guess, but I, I don't think it necessarily explicitly means that they're moving to what you're thinking of as like a live service model, right? Like, like there, there's story DLC. There's, you know, the, the kinds of things that you would still enjoy. I think it still sounds like they're sticking to that. And I think that Rockstar would have a really hard time getting away from that fully because you are certainly not alone in being the kind of person who likes, you know, the, the single player experience of those games. Um, I just find it, know, I just I find thinking, it. All, there are, you know, independent studios and kind of kind of mid mid level, I guess like double A studios or whatever that are doing I, I guess games with like kind of a similar model, right? But they're not triple A, they're not as big. And it's there there's been kind of I think a little more and there's still there's obviously still studios and still games that are very obviously and clearly triple A. Um but I think in the last few years, there's definitely been kind of a blurring of the lines as to what qualifies as like a, a small indie and what qualifies as like, you know, kind of this mid thing and what qualifies as a triple A game. And there's but, but there's still like a very clear divide between these games that take hundreds and hundreds of people and, you know, thousands of hours of crunch to make. And I'm I'm just like trying to think about what what that line is. Right. Like I'm thinking about the, you know, the reflections on the puddles and like the very intricate environmental details and like Red Dead Redemption 2. And whether those are the things that like make or break a game, or whether those are the things that like cause crunch. Yeah, well, so there, there's a there's an experience with GTA Five I had when I was playing it on the day it was released, and like you know, I was in a plane like so high up in the air you can basically see like the curvature of the Earth or whatever, and kind of land, flew down, landed the plane on a beach, which is near a busy boardwalk, got out of the plane ran onto the pavement, bumped into a guy who dropped the drink he was holding onto the floor and then started having a go at me. And then someone else came to, then someone else, another, you know, pedestrian on the street came up and tried to kind of defend me from this guy having a go at me. And then this is, you know, you going from literally a bird, a God's eye view of the entire landscape to being dressed down by someone on the street for having dropped, for having pushed into them and, Force them to drop their drink in the space of about 30 seconds without a loading screen, without a break. I mean, these are 
that sort of technique, how, how that happens, I don't even know. How, and, and it must take such effort and bug testing and endless QA and all of these different things. And, and it really is difficult to think of an a experience that intricate and, and, and not see it, that it must have some sort of human cost somewhere along the line, you know. It's hard too, because I think we're coming up on a new console generation, right? And I think going into that, people are expecting at the AAA level, the kinds of experiences that we're getting from, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2, GTA 5, you know, games like that. People are expecting those kinds of experiences to get even better, right? Like they're expecting, you know, even more innovation. They're expecting them to increase. And admittedly with the, you know, some of the, I know I, I'm, talking you know kind of off the top of my head right now but i feel like there was a discussion around the ps5 and whether some of the technology in it would um allow developers to save save more time and to you know take more shortcuts and stuff and essentially kind of alleviate crunch is okay does that actually alleviate crunch or do we just find more intricate things to do with video games um to effectively generate more crunch i think Um, the laps are unfortunately (laughs) yeah i mean i i would argue like i mean just from like I don't know, just like a moral standpoint, right? Like that it is not worth, you know, exploiting people to create video game experiences where, you know, we can go from a plane to dropping our dropping our drinks or whatever, but those experiences are still going to get made because that's what the industry expects. There's not really a way to go back unless we can find ways to make those kinds of games without crunch. Those games are still going to keep getting made. In the movie industry, although they do, this does happen from time to time, is they, they have a, I, I think it's a lot of it's about announcing games. We announce games so early. And we say that a game's coming out in two years, here's the release date, or it's coming out in 12 months. And I'm like, in the movie industry, they, they don't start marketing and talking about their products until it's pretty much finished. They sort of show a trailer and the game's already been filmed and the film's, oh, sorry, the film's already been made and they're just now in the, in the end of that process. And I, I sometimes think the way we do things as an industry kind of forces crunch because we end up setting an arbitrary deadline when in reality is let's get to the point where the game's set internal deadlines but if something gets you know if something is not worth if you're not going to hit that deadline you delay it don't you but if yeah. it's internally it's not a big problem and what's um, much what's much more common in films is that they finish a film and it just kind of sits there for six months and then they release it this idea of like going gold and then you're on the shelf four weeks later that's actually is fairly specific to games films films are sat on or, or sit there until it's the right time to release a lot this is just something that the film industry does now the film industry does kind of set release dates for very big movies like i don't know big marvel movie they might set the date a year out or something like that it does happen but it's much more usual for films to, i mean you know majority of the film industry kind of finishes their films then just tries to find a distributor for it you know so we are i mean it, but even but even indie developers will set a set a release date for their game that far out. Um, uh, and Chris, I think you're right, and I'm sure there's many, re- I'm sure there's like many industry reasons why that is. I mean, the one that I'm thinking of is, I mean, games are obviously different than films in that you, if you're wanting, okay, if you want people to get an idea of what your film is like, you just release a trailer and they see it and they think, oh, that's a movie I want to go see and then they go. With games, trailers are good and helpful, but I mean, there is still a huge component of, you know, kind of marketing that is getting people hands-on with the game and having people come back with some kind of impressions and say, oh, this was, you know, fun to play. And when you have, you know, X amount of industry events a year that you have to show it at and you want to get it in the hands of X amount of people, um, you do kind of need to have... uh, at least a little more lead up than movies do, I think, right? Because you want to make sure that people know they need to show up to play this game and then talk about it, and that's how you market your game. And I, I think that's you know important. That's there's obviously like fewer barriers to that now that we have you know 
like digital distribution allows you to like you can send out demos um you can you know send codes to streamers and things like that so there's there's fewer barriers than there were but i do think that's a component one of the many components that people are thinking so about. some of the comment on that came from an eve Gillamo interview i did many i can't i was at mcv it was years and years and years ago and i and i said to him i talked to him about it i didn't understand i genuinely said to him, excuse my ignorance why don't we make it like films where we actually set a release you know you sit there you release you get the game made and then you announce it. You do the marketing. You take take it to all the events. Take six months. Get the get, you know then then take and the developers have plenty of time to talk about it. And you know I use the example of um, what's the remedies? Not their last game, the game before. But Quantum Break. Quantum Break was finished in November and released in May. Right? They went gold in November, but because Xbox had a lot of games out that Christmas, they went. We don't need it now. We'll push it into a quieter window. And they released it in May. Now I'm sitting there going, why don't we do that with all games? Um, and um, and it's I think partly. It is because of the nature of the industry. And in fact, since um, going gold doesn't actually mean finishing developing the game, you've got to now put the patch out in the between. It's got even worse. And E. Gillamo said, we need to start moving towards that model. This was years ago. I don't, I don't, clearly didn't happen, I don't think. Um, he said, we need to move towards that model where we get these things finished so much in advance so that, you know, if things slip or things go wrong, you know, set really, like, give loads of time, set early deadlines. You know, the things that we do in media, you know, give somebody a deadline that's five days before the actual real deadline. It, it, but um, it feels, I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like a very patronising thing for a journalist to say to an entire industry, but it is something that... It's, I assume it's also because games are made on such, a lot of games are made on such thin margins, right? Like, you need that big payout as soon as possible. Yeah, I think, I think that's true of... Lot of, I think it's less true now, though, because of games as a service. So games like, you know, Rockstar don't need to release another game ever again. Right? Not just because of the money they made from GTA Five, because of the money they're still making from GTA Online and things like that. And uh, I think when you get to that situation where your games are, where games, you're, you're, you're as a company, you're, and this is the reason why so much more investments in video games now, your companies are so much more reliable. You know, you know companies will still make money in a year they don't release a product. Take-Two's have one of its best ever generations and release so few titles as an example of that. So I do, I do think as a, uh, I, I think that the industry is moving towards a point now where, you know, delaying a game doesn't really have a massive impact upon their bottom line. They'll still have a good year. Um, it just means that they'll have a better year the next one. Poor Ubisoft, huh? <laughs> right, so we've been we have been trying to, you know, avoid the the you know the topic that that is just, you know, infiltrating the news cycle right now um COVID-19 but this is, this is a slight slightly happier topic I suppose um Chris I, I know you want to you wrote um a really lovely editorial I actually think it was a week ago um about how um the industry is there are parts of the industry that stand to weather um COVID-19 better than others um and they it is it is the industry needs to support the elements of it that are that do not stand to weather as well as others um and I know we start, sort of wanted to talk about kind of you know, the, the good things that the industry is doing to kind of support itself and support the components of it that are not doing as well, um, but then also kind of, you know, where that support needs to go. Yeah, I've been, like, this last couple of years, being in the games industry has been a... I don't want to use the word shame, it's a little bit too aggressive, but, you know, loot boxes and, and, and gaming addiction and degrees, it's not... You, suddenly you feel like you're working for the bad guys when you're working in the games industry. Um, and 
and so I'm really been the last um, the last uh, uh, couple of couple of weeks, I guess, a month or so. The games industry's response to COVID nineteen, I think, it's generally has been excellent. Like it, they've they're they're backing campaigns, they're getting behind the who, they're getting behind the government, they're doing lot, they're doing this is this they're, they're taking the responsibility of you know get, video games are helping people stay indoors. You know they're doing, and not only they're saying hey stay indoors, play games. They're even adver- they're advertising their promotions coming with but play games responsibly, don't overplay. All the messaging that we've wanted them to do all along is sort of coming out. And um, and then of course there's all the campaigns, all the all the all the all the the, the, the money they're giving. Because the thing is, people are spending a lot of money on video games. I think in across Europe, console sales are up three hundred percent over the last couple of weeks. It's, it's crazy, you know. PlayStation, Xbox, more people have bought Xbox One this year than they bought Xbox One up to the same to the year to date last year, which is un- completely unheard of in a new console year. Um, uh, obviously, Switch is doing what they always was, and even PlayStation are now really starting to have a strong time. And, and you know, digital downloads are skyrocketing, but even physical games markets doing well, even though all the shops are closed. Everyone, all the people that make games, publishers and platform holders, they're in a bit of they're in they're not enjoying it. Obviously, nobody's happy. But, you know, they're, they're making money um, and they're giving some of that money back into various re- things. And the thing that I said in that editorial was, you know, and I'm sh- it is happening because I've seen things like, for instance, the lo- there's, lo- there's a lack of switch in the market at the moment. I've noticed that when switches are coming into the market in the UK, they're not coming on sale at Amazon. They're coming on sale at Game. And I suspect that's a deliberate choice. That's Nintendo. And it's not coming back on the Nintendo store. That's Nintendo going, which one of our retail partners needs the cost, <laughs> needs the stock to sell? probably game um and i'm not sure they've done that that's that's implying they're sort of favoriting anything but they 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 they, i suspect there's a bit of that going on trying to support those people in trouble but um regardless of that um uh i was i was sort of trying to say we need to make sure that you know i know recruitment agencies qa companies services companies media events businesses they're having a bit of a nightmare and they're all going out there trying to do something different in order to try and win business and i think it's on the shoulders of those companies that aren't having that as problems to support those initiatives you know like i think I, the support ign must be having a hard time but the ign sum of games and you saw the company sign up for it and i thought that's good yes that's what we want to see we want to see platform holders and publishers back in these things and then came the news earlier in the week which was sony giving you know sony opening a fund for indie developers who are struggling financially and i went that's that that's brilliant and playstation have been like top for this they, they, they were the first to react when the uh, when the virus started to spread, um, they they were one of the first people to open a fund, and uh, and now they're doing this thing for indie developers, and they're giving away games to try and help people indoors. They're limiting um, download speeds, um, and I and I so yeah, I sort of I sort of said everything I want to say in that diatribe there. But it's, uh, I I just generally think it's been I think a lot of companies are doing really well. Some companies I think could still step up, um, and um, but I, I looking I think PlayStation is setting a great example, and I thought that was a really good thing they did. Yeah, I mean, so I yeah. So I, I think I'm. I, I, I've been keeping an eye on other. So I, you know, I watch football, the sport, not the e-sport, the real sport. And in football, there is actually a lot of. There's a huge concern over how this, how COVID nineteen can, um, could actually completely ruin professional football. Not the top six clubs, but every single other club. And the discuss the discussions right now are the top six clubs need to give money to all of the other clubs in order to preserve the sport that they profit from, right? So 
they're just like it, uh, the the pessimistic uh, estimates are that the th- a third to forty percent of the of the professional football clubs um, that make up the, the professional football league in the UK could go out of business over the next six months to a year because it's all tied up to TV rights and they've already promised the money in certain places. Now Sky is going to come back and say you owe us and genuinely hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds, none of which can possibly be paid back. This could be an absolute, you know, could be a catastrophe. There are parallels here with the games business. But in football, I feel that that, that, that those discussions in that sense, we have to do something is much more publicly stated. It's not just PlayStation. It's the equivalent of PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, Activision, EA, all saying we're going to give money to people to keep them afloat. Um, I, I haven't, I don't feel I've actually seen all that much of that in the games business. I mean, I know what you're saying, Chris, about you observe that game has got a lot of switches and Amazon doesn't, so we, maybe we can infer that Nintendo's doing this. But haven't we also had wind of the fact that Nintendo is kind of reluctant to announce it's doing really, really well with Animal Crossing because it thinks it might look bad? Um, I don't know. Uh, well, that, Nintendo I, didn't. Well, because, I mean, I, at least I, I, we've, certainly I've heard whispers that the sales have been strong and there hasn't been a big announcement of that because... It might not I look. I have heard the yeah. same. Yeah. So, but wouldn't it look great if they said we've sold eight million copies of Animal Crossing, we're giving away ten percent of the profits? That yeah. would look good, so, wouldn't it? But yeah, I mean, but, but here we are. We're inferring that maybe they're favouriting game over Amazon, but that's not that's not what PlayStation doing. PlayStation are doing something real, something concrete. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I think that's what we want to see. Uh, the 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 Nintendo thing I mean that's yeah Nintendo didn't announce you know Animal Crossing was probably one of their biggest ever launches and they didn't announce it but who would I mean to be fair that's a different thing saying we made loads of money is a different thing but Take Two didn't say hey we're making lots of money from our games right now it was implied when they said they were going to give 5% of all the profits they make from these titles um, to um, COVID-19 it's not 5% of the, all the profits it's of just 5% of the in-game purchases which is slightly different and not as good as what you said Justin implies sorry yeah I don't want to throw shade here but I thought that 5% of in-game purchase, purchase was I don't know that's, it, that's 70% very, very of Take-Two's right revenue them. at the moment right so yeah so, sure so, I'm not, I'm not, it's still, still a good effort but, don't but, get me and, wrong I'm not, I'm not trying to undermine that but I mean that's the sort of thing that Matt was talking about the idea that a company's making a lot of money from something and they're giving I'm not saying they should give it all back you know you know they, they, these are businesses after all um but um but it, it's it's yeah I, I the thing is I think the difference with games and football is that everybody's having a hard time with football even those top six clubs who are um who have the money to be able to support the rest of the industry they're not having they're not happy at the moment either because they're also going to lose out on all this cash whereas whereas the difference in our industry is actually it's working out who really is having a hard time not even all developers are having hard times developers that released a game in the last six months are probably having a very good time um and it, it's sort of developers that are in a certain stage in their development cycle and their release strategy or something like that you know and um and you know not all um, media is having a hard time because uh, as as we've seen traffic uh, around media sites of spiking everyone's indoors everyone's googling animal crossing guides and that's causing a, a spike in programmatic advertising so it's not true to say that all comp in the games industry there are companies struggling sometimes it's about identifying who they are um but i think if you are playstation you need you're thinking right we need developers for the launch of our new console we need retailers for the launch of our new console and we need to make sure that we're doing our bit to ensure they're still around come um you know come christmas or whenever they decide to launch um yeah but i I don't know if it needs a coordinated response If, if if actually things are a little bit more complicated in games because it's not true that everyone's 
struggling. But yeah. I would just I I both want I very much want to be optimistic with you, Chris. And I think I think there is like some some companies that are, you know, genuinely trying to do good and like putting forth a lot of effort to, you know, give money where it is needed and, you know, take care of either fellow fellow members of the games industry who might be struggling or you know, just straight up COVID nineteen relief efforts. I think that I think there are there are genuine efforts there. Um, I also um, so we have an article on the site right now that's just this big roundup of everything that the games industry is doing to support COVID nineteen relief. It's great. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there. Uh, since we have that article, though, and I, I'm not trying to throw shade on anyone, but we definitely get a ton of emails now, um, and I think we were going to get most of these anyway, um, that are a lot of companies you know, trying to say, hey, this is the thing we're doing for COVID-19. And it is very difficult sometimes to sift through those and figure out, okay, who who in this giant pile of emails of people doing things for COVID-19 are doing things that, you know, they're actually like, you know, giving money to relief efforts, or they sent a whole bunch of masks, or they, you know, donated to this, or they're helping indie developers or whatever. Um, or they're just like, we're jumping on some kind of ba- good PR bandwagon where we're putting like a COVID-19 hashtag somewhere, or, you know, we... We, I don't know, slapped COVID-19 on an in-game item or something. Um, and we're trying to make it look like we're doing something good, but there's not actually any concrete good being done there. And I'm not, I'm not thinking of anything specific right now. I just know that that's something that I've seen like kind of trickling in over the last few weeks. So I think there, I think there's sort of a, maybe a feeling like that there's a a capacity to jump on sort of a good PR bandwagon here. And I just sort of want to be careful with that. I'm happy for them to jump on a PR bandwagon, as long as they're doing something good. I mean, your point there was that that some people aren't doing anything good. But but if they're going... They're doing nothing. That's the problem, though, that like, as long as it's it's good, that's the thing. Like, at the moment, I felt like it's been quite difficult sometimes to to really see when it's actually a good deed and when it's actually just a PR stunt and just like, oh, let's let's do this so I sell more copies of my game. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I'm very much like, like Rebecca on this. And as much as I try to see some hope somewhere, it's also not in my nature to see hope anywhere. And what I see is a lot of marketing things happening that just seems to be taking profit of this whole thing I, I'm, um, I, don't, I haven't seen any examples you know. of that I think there are examples of things that are I don't want to give any specific examples because I don't want to throw people that are in my inbox under the bus here is a non-games industry example that I don't mind throwing under the bus <laughs> every time there is some kind of tragedy or some kind of thing going on Facebook if you I'm not even on Facebook well I have it for the games industry page um on Facebook, they do some sort of thing that you can attach to your profile picture. And it's like a rainbow flag, or you can put a mask on or whatever. And it does nothing. It does not donate any money. It doesn't really even spread any awareness of anything, because it's just this this weird, like, aesthetic thing that they try to encourage everyone to do for some reason. And I'm very cynical about that, because it does not actually do any concrete good. And there are, I, there are definitely games companies that are doing kind of like the equivalent of that where it's like oh we're raising awareness or we're doing this thing and it's like okay this hasn't isn't actually doing any concrete good like help yeah, or don't but, yeah, but, but I, I think it's so it's so hard to be that no but I, i'm gonna i'm gonna have to say like it's so hard to be that that unequivocal about a situation like this there are so many things that where you can say that benefits the company but it also benefits other people as well and there's nothing wrong with being both I mean, like, ideally, yeah, what, you, what, what you'd want, right, is you'd want, like, what PlayStation's doing. Here's $10 million to help people, right? That, that's a pure, let, yeah. like, let's just do that as a model of pure good. Then, then maybe you've got a company that says, okay, we're going to set aside this much money um, for, for our current partners 
to delay the fees they owe us, right, maybe. Or if you... Yeah, so let's just say that. I mean, I, I like Rebecca. I'm finding it hard because, like, you don't really want to throw people under the bus. But so that, for example, isn't actually giving anybody anything. That's actually just making sure you don't lose partners. But that can still be good for the partners. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't want your partners going out of business for selfish reasons, but you but them going out of business would also be bad for non-selfish reasons. This is an ambiguous situation. It's very, very difficult to draw a line between right and wrong or acceptable and not acceptable. And yeah, and I think you're right. Any Anything where you say, we're going to give away, so we're going to give away copies of, you know, Game X uh, for five days. And then you look and, oh, but there's a new game in this series coming out in in three months time now they've got an additional hundred thousand people that could potentially buy the new game that's kind of the that's kind of the landscape we're in right now right where an altruistic act can have benefits that are non-altruistic down the line i don't know if that means that that's not still a fundamentally good thing the only the only point i'm trying to make is that i am i i agree with chris i think the industry is 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 trying and doing a good job i i just like want to sort of put like a little asterisk on that that every time you see a headline about a games company doing something related to COVID-19, it is not automatically 100% equivocally like, yes, they're doing a charitable act. The games industry did it, everybody. Mm -mm. We did it. That's all I'm trying to say. Solved the crisis. (laughs) Thank you, games industry. No, obviously, I I do agree with Chris too, as in like the games industry is doing a lot of great things. And especially I'm very happy to see a lot of indies who are, I don't know, launching Patreon pages, not Patreon, but like, uh, what's the thing to raise money go I can't find me the name of the platform right now anyway go fund me go fund me or some, something yeah. yes platforms like that with like just people donating money to help freelancers and other stuff like that raise money for Uppercut. people who lost their jobs yeah, exactly that's, that's what amazing. i'm thinking about i just couldn't find the, the name of the place because i have no memory of anything today so this is amazing and this is supporting uh, small businesses who really need it so it, it's all great. I think there's just much like Rebecca, there's this teeny tiny part of me who's like just, I don't know. I, I think I'm thinking, for instance, about several companies who've, who've that have um, been like, oh, our game is free this weekend, so you can you know stay at home and play, and then and then they put back the game and it's not free anymore, and they make a lot of money like that. And you know what? Fair enough. But also no. I don't. I don't. I don't mind is, that. Is, is my opinion. You can of course just doing... not buy the game when it's not free anymore. Well, that's you know you're not forced yeah, of to course buy. you can do that sure you're not sure you know what yes <laughs> no i think what i like about the what i like about the playstation fund just to, you know to, to 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 close it off is that it speaks directly to what chris was saying in his piece chris off off mike will tell you that he's entirely responsible for the creation of this fund because of his piece <laughs> but you see, but in, but in every, but in every, in every right. field, in every field, actually, what what I, I've noticed a kind of a trend where the initial sort of response of giving and altruism was directed at the the uh, the problems caused by the virus in the biggest possible sense. Like, here's money for the NHS. How can we help fight the virus? And actually, as the weeks go on, what you see is more introspection and um, inward-looking efforts where. As time goes on and people are reckoning with what the impact of this thing could actually be, they're realising that this thing could actually decimate the, 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 the space they exist in. Not just lives and the NHS and so on and so forth, but but the, the companies that they work alongside. And, and what this fund says to me is that PlayStation, this is an acknowledgement of PlayStation that if we don't 
step up and act in a charitable way towards the people around us not just the people fighting the disease but the people also affected by the disease in these kind of more abstract ways then this could really hurt and change the way the games industry is it could cause the closure of hundreds and hundreds of businesses and the whole industry would be poorer if that happened um, so I, I think I, lo I, I really like seeing this kind of effort because it is about helping each other in your little corner of the world rather than just everybody fighting for the the bigger picture which is obviously very very important but but this is kind of a trend that plays out across every single part of part of industry everywhere i think i think that's a good note to end that discussion on and move on to our last thing which i hope is unequivocally unequivocally positive um we, <laughs> you never know i <laughs> well we'll see uh we had uh, a report come out i actually i believe the i believe it came from uh Video Games Chronicle from VGC, I think that's who reported it. Andy um, Robinson special. Yeah, thanks Andy Robinson. Uh, Capcom's working on a Resident Evil 4 remake. Um, go go read that, that's interesting. Um, so we've got, you know, potentially Resident Evil 4 remake. We just had uh, the remakes of Resident Evil 2 and 3. Final Fantasy 7, everybody's losing their minds over that currently. Um, are, we, are we seeing kind of some resurgence of video game remakes and remasters? And, you know, what, why now? What's going on? Um, why is everyone remaking stuff? Remakes have been going on now for ages. Um, and it's like uh, it, <laughs> Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy was, what, two, two, three years ago now? And that did, like, yeah. millions and millions and millions and millions and millions. Um, and Spyro and... Uh, and then the two point hospitals are spiritual and i'm just thinking i'm just randomly thinking things off the top of my head um, it seems like a bigger a bigger time because we also had that uh report earlier i think again also from pgc dang those guys over there um that uh nintendo's coming coming around with that uh mario collection right yeah, like yeah. mario 64 and sunshine and stuff it is a trend but it's a trend that's existed now for about five years like it's really been like everyone's doing remakes activision are releasing a remake all the time um and uh, i think they're about to do a tony hawk's remake i've got to announce that and um mm. and they've just you know and uh and nintendo do loads of remakes they did a remake last september a zelda remake you know it's it's uh it's it's super common um but um it feels a bit of a thing now because we just had two sizable releases back to back i think um i and um there was a few people criticize i do think it's interesting now working out what what you what you remake like resident evil 2 or final fantasy 7 and what you uh remake like um uh, the Crash Bandicoot, or even Star, the new Star Wars Pod Race. So they announced Star Wars Racers coming to Switch, um, and that's that's just the last game upresed, right? And um, and it's like, what, what, what games do you do that? Because a lot of people, Code Veronica, Resident Evil Code Veronica was trending after Resident Evil Four remake rumor came out, and it's because people are going, why are you not remaking, remaking Code Veronica? And I'm like, well, it sold two million copies. It's, it's yeah. tiny compared to the other Resident <laughs> Evil franchises. And Resident <laughs> Evil Two costs a fortune to remake. They could as easily have made a completely new game for the same amount of money. Like, it's not I the same as just gussying it up and sticking it out for a new audience. They, they kind of rethought that game. They kind of re reconsidered the way. Well, you're not, you, you're not reusing any assets from the PlayStation 1, are you? You know? Like this, is, this, is, this is a new game in all, in all but name. And I don't actually think there are that many ginormous super games, like you think from the past, left 
to, to, to do the full Super Resident Evil 2 style remake. There's loads of games to re-release and redo, and yeah. I think they announced one of my favourite N64 games, Shadow Man, is coming back next year, and it's gonna it will be the same game, and it would have been tarted up very nicely with slightly new controls, um, and that'll be great, and I'll be very happy with that. There's that stuff's going to happen all the time. You've got Aspire doing that, and you've got loads yeah. of companies set up entirely dedicated to doing that. So that's the really doing. But that's the really big distinction to make, right? That the Final Fantasy VII remake is not just a HD version of an old game. It's a completely new version of an old game uh, with entirely new everything. And it took, what, was it like yeah. seven years to make or something? Like, this isn't, this isn't just... Oh, and it's this not even done. We're going to be getting yeah, right. installments yeah. of this for the next decade. This isn't, this isn't Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. Those are, those are totally different ways of thinking about remake. And I think Chris is right. There are a very limited number of games that deserve or possibly reward that sort of level of treatment. Not least because you know, Res- uh, Resident Evil is a fr- franchise that still exists today and still gets new new games in it. Final Fantasy is a franchise that still exists today and still has new mainline games being released. Um, you're not going to see that treatment given to uh, pick a random PlayStation game, Siphon Filter, for example, because Siphon Filter was just a, a good game from like 15 years ago that I really enjoyed and probably nobody else even yeah. remembers. Oh, Actually, no, a 20 good years ago. Shit. A good example is Medieval. It was a game I liked from the PlayStation era. They did remake that. They did it last year. But again, that was a... It was a juiced up game. It wasn't... Oh, so... uh, Blue Hole's doing a remake too. Are we pretty sure that's Demon's Souls? A remake of Demon's Souls? That only came out 10 years ago. Are we already there? Are we already yeah. remaking Xbox yeah. 360 Isn't that... <laughs> am I... You all look at me really funny. Isn't that an actual rumor? Am I getting the game wrong? Or am I getting the studio wrong? Well, Maybe I'm getting the studio wrong. The, I th- no, I'm definitely getting the studio wrong. Just the wrong. phrase, an actual rumour, is a little bit of a contradiction in terms, isn't it? No, no, hold on. Hold on. Who's doing this? Now, James is going to have to... Blue Point. It was Blue something. Blue I thought Blue Hole sounded weird. Blue Hole's the PUBG Yeah, they are, yeah. That's, that's, I think that's why you've making... got a lot of funny looks, you know. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay, um, Blue Point is definitely making a remake of something. We know that for sure. And it's going to be something for the PS5. Like, that, that is confirmed. We know that. We don't know what game it is, but everyone's pretty sure it's Demon's Souls. Well, yeah. okay. I mean, that'll do all right. But, I mean, it's, but, you know, I, I think Resident Evil 4 is a game that would sell really, really well as a remake. I mean, they did like 2 million copies on the Switch for, or something like that. The recent re-release of the, that game did really, really well. That's a lot of copies um, just I'm, on the Switch. They, wow. they might have got that number wrong. I was on the Capcom IR site and I do remember my eyes popping out when I saw how much the HD That's version of Resident Evil 4 did. But, um, but uh, it, it's, you know, you can... Uh, I think about some other game, Metal Gear Solid, maybe. I know it got remade for the yeah. GameCube, but that was that was a very long time ago. Um, uh, I would take, uh, like, uh, yeah. I mean, I, we're... we're, we're yeah, I mean, but but again, I think that that's that that's a franchise where it still has some sort of legacy that that exists today. I think anyone will welcome a lot of people will welcome a new Metal Gear game. Uh, I think it's just how many games from twenty years ago genuinely would have a fan base now that would kind of turn out in the millions. Pokemon's been doing remakes for like what, like a decade mm. now. Like ever since they made Fire Red and Re- Leaf Green, they've been like remaking their yeah. own games just for forever. I mean, honestly, we're probably due for another one soon. People have been wanting that Diamond and Pearl remake for a million. Well, years. Let's Go was effectively a and remake, all- wasn't it? It was it, well. It's yeah, really funny. It was, yeah. So they they have red blue. They have red and blue, right? And then they remade them as Fire Red and Leaf Green, and then they remade them again as Pokemon Let's Go. It's really yeah. really quite funny. I think all the Zelda remakes have been doing quite well as well, Ooh, um, yeah. and I think we'll see more of them. And personally, I'd love a, 
Ocarina of Time remake in the Breath of the Wild style. That's the one game I've if been wanting Ocarina since the Switch Time came remake. out. So yeah. If we're getting Ocarina of Time, we have to get Majora's Mask after it. Well, we, yes, it's worth that we did get a sort of remake of that on both of those games. On well, no, Josh, um, didn't count. Can you stop, Chris? I thought we were going to agree on that one at least. Oh no, don't get me wrong. I would love, I'd love. I mean, yeah, sure, I'd love those. Majora's Mask is one of my favourite games of all time. But they, they, they did. I know. They did. They did do that again on the 3DS. They did make some changes to the game. They did update the visuals. They did. It was. I mean, it wasn't a Resident Evil style transformation. It was more of a Crash Bandicoot style remake on that transformation level I think we've more mentioned some names here but these are like you know five of the top 20 most iconic brands in gaming here right like I think in many ways it's underlining the point that actually it's a fairly small pool to, if, if the if the suggestions we have are Zelda Pokemon and Metal Gear Solid we're kind of underlining the fact there actually aren't that many of these games you could spend 30 million dollars remaking i mean and this is and, and that's probably conservative when it comes to final fantasy 7, 7 remake probably cost upwards of 100 million dollars to remake that the, game the has to one. sell has to sell 10 million to be a success you know what is everybody's dream remake goldeneye Okay. Oh, yeah. That's fair. Silent yeah. Hill 2. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Silent Hill. <laughs> Goldeneye, Goldeneye, Goldeneye won't happen, though. Not for any want from Microsoft Rare or uh, or any of the people involved in that franchise. It's because um, Eon, the uh, license holder, won't allow it. So there we are. Matt, what's your Silent Hill 2. Uh, Silent Hill 2 was actually like uh, a yeah. game that was pretty ahead of its time in terms of storytelling. Like it's a very, very weird Lynchian exploration of like sexual frustration and repressed anger and all this stuff full of very dark, strange imagery and stuff. And and I think I've, I've tried to replay that game in the, not the recent past, but a few years back. And it just plays so badly now. You know, you can't... That's a game that really needs to be rethought and pulled apart and reassembled in the way that Resident Evil has and apparently Final Fantasy VII has. Um, because I think that, that game, the, the bones of it are absolutely amazing. Um, the, 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 the sophistication of the narrative and so on, I think, could really work in a modern setting if they just went back and readdressed the camera and the controls and all of the things that these really, really big remakes are actually doing, which is, which is kind of... Uh, but, Genuinely, I if if I had to draw up a list of ten games, I think I'd struggle to find ten games that I think would genuinely benefit and be so much better, you know, as a result of that process. Murray, uh, for me, it would be okay enough time and Majora's Mask. Now that you've mentioned it, like one hundred percent. Yeah, um, I'd pick. Uh, I'd actually pick Chrono Cross, uh, kind of for the same reason that Matt mentions. I do not think we should get a sequel to Chrono Trigger ever. Um, I think that game is done. I don't want them to remake Chrono Trigger again because the DS version was perfect. But I think Chrono Cross is, like like Matt was saying about Silent Hill 2, um, it's a game that I, I think is beautiful in some respects, but I think if you kind of pulled it apart and then like sort of fixed it up and stitched it back together again, um, especially with just some of the writing and kind of how some of the systems work in terms of characters and things like that, um, I think that could be a genuinely really, really beautiful game. Um, like, with, you know, a, a solid budget and, you know, like on the Switch or on some modern day console, I think, I think that would be absolutely wonderful. Wii Music. <laughs> what? It's full remake Come of Wii on. Music. Come on. <laughs> oh. Well, no, but, but I think I think that. But, but in a way, I, th I think the games are probably the ideal medium for this kind of stuff. I don't really go in for remakes of classic movies because. I don't see the point in remaking anything that's still great in its original form, right? Like, I, it's why, I like, you know, the English language remakes of great foreign movies. I never really 
much bothered about those because you can just watch the original and it's fantastic and doesn't need improving. But with games, like games don't always age very well. Like the, the reason why Silent yeah. Hill 2 can't be played now is just because the way games themselves have changed, technically, as much as anything else. The way what our expectations from how a camera works, from how uh, interfaces work, button layouts, all of this kind of weird stuff. Um, that, and, that kind of, and so I think there's a load of games that could be re revivified to become amazing experiences now but it's just whether you can make the commercial case for it and actually my choice of silent i, I think ocarina of time is perfect a perfect example of a oh, game God, that should yeah. be remade in this way how brilliant would that be i've never even played it so that would be what? Do, do that and i'll play yeah i know i know i know <laughs> nintendo is a massive blind spot for me uh, list, list list 10 great nintendo games i haven't played any of them trust me I, yeah. I still, I still, I, 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 I still yeah, let's, let's remake Animal Crossing New Horizons so it comes out again <laughs> in two years' time. No. <laughs> the, the Resident Evil, Resident Evil Four is a good example of that actually because um, I played Resident Evil Two and it was like amazing and I loved it. I thought, what an amazing the remake of Resident Evil Two. I thought, what an amazing game! And then Resident Evil Four was released on Switch and I was like, I've, I've not played it for five years or so. Let's go back. This is one of my favourite games. And I went back and I went. Ah, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah exactly. it's. I mean, I mean, it's still good, but it, it's. Oh, it's not quite. I just played two, and that's perfect. And now I'm playing it, and I'm like, well, you know what? If you did this to this, yeah, so that's I'd be it, very cause, happy. Because what Resident Evil Two did, and I only played it earlier this year, uh, the end of last year. Um, it it really highlights how perfect that design was. Like the design of that game is absolutely amazing, but. If you played the original now, there would just be so many obstacles in the way of you seeing that. Like, it would be almost impossible to penetrate. Games in general haven't aged all that, don't age all that well as a medium. And I, I think it would be fascinating to see what could be made of, of, of some of the more obscure stuff that, that just doesn't doesn't hold up anymore. Yeah. Final Fantasy VII's in the, absolutely in the same boat. Like, I didn't play that game till college when I had it talked up to me for years and years and years and years about the, one of the greatest games of all time. And I picked it up, and it was so hard to play because we were already, by the time I was in college, we were already on PS3, Xbox 360 era. And PS, was it PS1 or PS2? PS1. Yeah, PS1 games had not were not aged, especially that, you know, kind of polygon characters, you know, moving in 3D spaces, like, very early on in kind of when people were figuring that out. That has not aged well at all. And there are other things I didn't, you know, especially like about it, but that in particular made it really, really hard for me to get into that game. And so I'm, I'm actually going to try Final Fantasy VII this weekend, the remake, and see if I can get into it now. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't played Final Fantasy VII originally. I've, I've never played Final Fantasy VII. So I'm actually very tempted by this. But I suspect I might just bounce off it because Final Fantasy just doesn't seem to do very much for me. Just the story, the setting, the characters, all that sort of stuff. Um, I feel like Brendan would be a really good person to have here right now because he's like PlayStation-era guru, basically. He'd have a list of about 20 different games that he'd like to see remade from PlayStation 1. I'm trying to think of a good joke to make for Brendan, but I just don't know any of the obscure games that he likes. So, <laughs> I don't know. Something about Street Fighter? I don't know what he plays. Yeah, so I, actually, <laughs> I'm just going to throw this in from... Rob wrote a piece about... The Rob Farhi, our, our sort of editor at large, if you will, wrote a piece about these kind of this remake trend a couple of weeks ago. And he said his pick, so this is Rob Farhi's picks. I'd like to propose Silent Hill, Vagrant Story, and Swakoden. And yes, I'm keenly and mournfully aware that two of those uh, two of those are franchises that belong to Konami, that gruesome abattoir of beloved IPs. So, God, Robert, yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but that also <laughs> underlines why you'll never ever see Silent Hill Two get that treatment. So, and so. unless that Xbox room is true. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
All right, well, on that note, we should probably wrap it up here. We have gone very off the business rails, uh, but you can always go back and listen to previous episodes of this podcast on all good podcasting platforms. Once you're on that good podcasting platform, you can consider subscribing, so it'll let you know whenever another episode appears. And you can and should get your daily dose of news and insight into the world behind games at gamesindustry.biz. 